Hey church, it's such a privilege to be with you as it is every week and uh, uh, just to be uh, a part of what God is doing amongst us. And I just want to echo Carla's words from earlier. You know, it's been a, it's been a really difficult week in Hong Kong. Uh, it's impacted all of us in different ways and um, we're standing with you. We're praying for you. Uh, we want to walk together in this season and in this hour. Uh, and uh, I do hope that you know that amongst the brothers and sisters of faith, you have a community that's cheering you on. No one is alone. Uh, no one is isolated. Uh, we're all part of one family together. And that's the joy of being able to do this together, to listen to God's Word, to encourage each other, and to see what God's going to do amongst us. And I'm really excited about that today. Um, I want to tell you a little bit as I start about uh, my experiences as a young Christian. You know, for, for a number of years, when I first became a Christian, I, I was really skeptical about the, the more charismatic expressions of the Christian faith. In, in particular, I was very skeptical about speaking in tongues. I actually came to faith when I was studying philosophy at university. And I was somebody who prided themselves on rational thinking. I, I saw the world actually through the lens, through the framework of rationality, that, that actually debate and understanding and rational things were, were important and true. And that in order to really understand things, we needed to see the facts. We needed to understand things with our rational minds and brains. So therefore, as a, as a younger person, I was pretty skeptical of emotional people, particularly skeptical of emotional people. People at church. I thought emotional people at church were just kind of going through the motions or just kind of being a bit strange. And that actually the only way that we truly come to understand the power of God is through our minds, through how we think. And that theology and rationality was the most important thing. This was actually a bit of a problem for me when I graduated university, came back to Hong Kong and joined the Vine. Because <laughs> the Vine, as you know, is a charismatic church. But back in those days, I would say on Sundays, our charismatic expression was even more than it is today. It was quite regular back in those days that during worship, somebody might get slain in the spirit. That's, you know, falling down on the ground through the power of God's spirit. A lot of people would pray out loud or sing out loud in tongues. I remember this one particular week, and this is etched in my memory forever. This one particular week, this older lady in our church, she crowed like a rooster for five minutes during worship. Everybody else was completely uncomfortable with the reality that this lady, bless her, was crowing like a rooster. And so we had some pretty strange things taking place. And I have to say, I was very uncomfortable with it all. It didn't sit well with me. I, I, I believe that God didn't bring chaos into the church, that the church was a place of safety, of comfort, of security, that we came to church uh, to feel like that. And that uh, in those moments in worship, I wasn't comfortable for me. And I felt like God uh, wouldn't uh, be a part of of something that was chaotic like it was. Well, there was this one particular Sunday where things were particularly frustrating and bad. On this particular Sunday, actually, I was standing right behind in the row, right behind of that old lady who had crowed like the rooster just a few weeks before. And I'm standing right behind her and worship is starting and I can tell she's getting set to do something, some sort of animal noise I knew was going to come out of this woman. She started to shake back and forth. She started to kind of do this and I was just preparing myself for the eruption that was to come. And I was kind of frustrated by it all, if I'm honest with you. So I just sort of you know, decided I was going to close my eyes and just try to block everything else out and just try to connect with God. So as I closed my eyes, I received what I can only des describe to you as a vision. 
Um, it, it was a vision because in, even though my eyes were closed, I could see with 100% clarity a picture. And in this picture, it was like a, it was like a movie. And it was like I was suddenly in this movie set. And, and, and the set was like this um, uh, dusty street with lots of little narrow alleyways and lots of homes side by side, small white houses with flat roofs. And I could see these things just very clearly. And I could almost walk amongst those streets. And actually the houses reminded me of the kind of houses that I was seeing in the little pencil drawings that were found in my Bible in those days. I knew that this was Israel, that I was seeing some street, perhaps in the old city of Jerusalem. And, and as I'm looking at this, I noticed that on every doorframe of every building, there is Hebrew words, Hebrew script written over them. Now, this was years before I went to Bible school. And as I looked at the doorframes, I could see the Hebrew and immediately I could read it just as if it was English. I knew exactly what it was saying. The words over every house was this, it's time to come home again. It's time to come home again, written over every single doorframe of every single home. And I could read it just like I say, just like it was English, like it was my own language. And as I'm reading the Hebrew, knowing exactly what it means, not only that, but also knowing how to pronounce the word if I was going to say it. This all happened like just immediately. I also found in me the Spirit of God just working towards me a place of peace and shalom, like this place of, of being right where I needed to be with God in that moment. And I knew that the words over those homes was for that old lady standing in front of me. So I, without really perhaps even thinking about it, I lean forward, I put my hands on her shoulders, and I start to get this, I start to sing those Hebrew words over her, in Hebrew, not in English, okay? I start to sing Hebrew. Now, that's amazing for two things. Number one, I don't speak Hebrew, let alone sing it. But number two, if you know me, if you know me, you know that I don't sing that I do not have a good singing voice. So I'm there singing my heart out in Hebrew, a language that up until that moment I did not know, didn't understand, but knew exactly what I was singing over her in the perfect pronunciation. She starts weeping, like deep weeping, like just weeping and weeping and weeping. And I keep singing and singing those words. It's time to come home again. It's time to come home again in Hebrew over her. Well, a couple of days later, she reached out to me and she let me know what was going on. She had visited Israel many, many times in her life, but she had stopped going for a bunch of different reasons. And she didn't feel like she wanted to go there anymore, but she really deeply missed being amongst the Jewish people, even though she herself was not Jewish. And as I was singing over her in that church service, she knew that God was saying those exact words to her. She understood Hebrew. She knew what I was singing over her was it's time to come come home again. Here's an interesting thing. There's me, skeptical, totally driven by rationality in those days, kind of feeling awkward when the Holy Spirit would move upon people. And God gives me a vision and I step out in faith and everything in me changes. 
From that moment onwards, I've had a a really interesting relationship with the Holy Spirit. Things have shifted and changed in me. And while I haven't had visions like that very often throughout my Christian life, that moment was a changing moment. It was like the breaking down of a barrier that I had put in my mind to what the Holy Spirit actually wanted to do. And I realized that so often my customs, my traditions, the things that I am comfortable with can become a barrier to the thing that the Holy Spirit might actually want to do. As we enter into this final week of our Dreaming Again series, I want to speak a word today that I I believe is important for all of us. I, I think there's a need for all of us to receive a fresh revelation from God. The kind of fresh revelation that actually shakes and disrupts and breaks down some of those unhealthy barriers, unhealthy customs and traditions that we can sometimes hold onto even above what God might want to do amongst us. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Having some customs, having traditions is fine, okay? Here at the Vine, we have a theology, a framework of theology, a statement of beliefs. You can find it on our website that we believe passionately. But here's the reality that I've come to see in my Christian life and experience, and perhaps you've seen this too, is that so often we can embed ourselves, so often we can embed ourselves in the kind of thinking about our church practices, our customs and traditions that we feel comfortable with, that those things actually begin to define how we think about God. And so actually it is our customs and traditions and practices that become to shape our theology. And when that happens, we're in danger, I think, of putting our personal preferences over God's truth. And when that takes place, I think God so often must step in with a fresh revelation because it will take, like it did for me on that day, a profound move of the Holy Spirit to shake us out of some of the entrenched thinking that we can find through our personal preferences, our comforts, and our securities. You see, it's interesting because Jesus understood this deeply when he began his own ministry here on earth. He knew that he was bringing a message of the kingdom of God, a message that was going to come and shake things up. He also understood that that message was not going to be very easily received by those that were entrenched in Judaic thinking at the time. In fact, right at the start of his ministry, Mark records for us a teaching Jesus brings to crowds. I want to read this to you from Mark chapter 2 starting in verse 22. He says this, No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. I think so often the reality is this, that when it comes to our idea of dreaming, God gives us these dreams and they're amazing. And it's like this new wine is being poured into us. But here's the reality. So often we take the new wine of God and we try to fit it into the old wineskins of our traditions and customs. When actually what we need is a new wineskin that is able to retain the new wine that God is giving us. See, see, the reality is this, sometimes to move forward in our dreams that God has given us will require a new, fresh way of thinking, a fresh way of believing that is only possible in us through a profound movement of the Spirit of God. 
That's what we need sometimes to shake us out of how we always have thought, how we always have tried to put God into a little box when God actually wants to break forward. We put that little metal gate in front of the fire so we protect ourselves because we're happy with the God that we know rather than the God that actually wants to show up. The one who might actually want to shake us up. The one that we actually need to come to set us on fire again. I feel like for some of you watching this, this is going to be a word for you in season. And here's the reason. It's because God has given you new dreams. He has, if you will, poured out his new wine. But you've been frustrated because you've been trying to fit that new wine into the old wineskin of what you're comfortable with in your life right now. And while this might not be always easy to hear when God brings his new wine, it's because he wants to put it in a new wineskin. That means some things might need to change. That means we might need to be open to fresh revelation, fresh way of thinking, fresh way of understanding, fresh way of actually practicing our belief and our faith. Perhaps even, dare I say, fresh theology, fresh ways of truly understanding who God is amongst us. I want to challenge us with this idea of what it is to embrace fresh revelation today by taking us to a passage from the early church. It's a passage actually where the early church uh, has this dramatic encounter with God that produces and creates a new wineskin in the church that is the very reason why if you're watching this right now and you're a believer that you've become a Christian. It's because of what God does in this particular story I want to take you to. It's from Acts chapter 10, uh, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I hope you're with me. I hope you're awake. I believe honestly that God's got some fresh revelation for you today. And I want to pray actually just before I open the word. I wasn't planning to do this, but I feel like this is important just to break off any distraction that there might be out there. Let me pray for this. Father, as we open your word, we do so with hunger. We do so, Lord, willing to shake off our traditions, to shake off even our religion if it means that we've missed you along the way. And Father, we want to ask for a fresh revelation, Lord, of your power, of your spirit, of your love, of your word. And I pray you would do this amongst us in such a beautiful way today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen. Amen. All right, I want to read to you from Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He said. The angel answered, your prayers and the gifts of the poor have come as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and he sent them to Joppa. Luke starts the story by introducing us to this main character in the story, Cornelius. He tells us three quick things. He's a Gentile. He's a centurion. In other words, he's a Roman soldier that has a hundred soldiers under his command. And most importantly, he says he's devout and God-fearing. 
This was somewhat common in the times that Gentiles might have become uh, aligned to the Jewish way of thinking and even perhaps aligned to the worship of the Jewish God. Uh, A God-fearer was a Gentile who took on the beliefs of the Jewish faith, not perhaps in every way in their life, but perhaps in an openness, as we hear in this story, to give money to the poor or to pray to this God from time to time. And here we have a picture of Cornelius praying to the Jewish God and God shows up and gives him a new dream. He actually says to him, okay, I want you to go to Joppa. I want you to get this apostle, Peter, who's a Jew. I want you to invite this Jewish man to come into your home. Now on paper, that doesn't seem like a big deal to you and I, but in the first century, that's completely revolutionary. We need to understand two quick things in context here. The first is this, that that actually it was illegal. It wasn't right in Jewish thinking for a Jewish person to go into the home and share a meal with a Gentile in those days. That was outlawed in the rabbinic law. It's really important that you know that there were two types of law. There was rabbinic law and Torah law. Torah law was the law that was found in the first five books of the Bible. The law that came from God's word himself. But there was also rabbinical law. Rabbinical law was the law that had grown up through the rabbis over the years as they sought to interpret God's word. And rabbinical law, not Torah law, had outruled the idea that a Jewish person could go into a Gentile's home for a meal. Now, here's the reason why. It's because in Jewish thinking, there were things that were seen as both unclean and impure unclean and impure. An unclean thing was a Gentile. The Gentiles, by their very existence, being foreign, being ethnically other from the Jewish people, not under that Jewish covenant, not part of the chosen generation, they were seen as unclean in God's eyes. And if a Jewish person associated with someone who is unclean, while the Jewish person could not become unclean themselves because they're under the new covenant, they could become impure, tainted by the unclean person that they were with. Think about this in COVID terms. This is like a Jewish person becomes a close contact with a Gentile. They have to go in quarantine before they're allowed to be released back into the Jewish community. You following with me? That was what was happening here. So when God says to Cornelius, invite this Jewish man to your house, he's thinking to himself, hang on a sec. God is asking me to do something that's against the rabbinical law. And if I invite this Peter over and he comes, he'll become impure. Like this doesn't make any sense. This is God bringing fresh revelation to disrupt the rabbinical law, the customs and traditions that had gotten in the way of what he wanted to do. Cornelius, as a God-fearing devout man, says, all right, Lord, if this is what you're doing, if this is what you're going to say, I will trust you. I'll go out and I'll invite this Peter to come. Let's see what happens next? Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, a vision, if you will, a dream. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet um, containing uh, was being let down to earth on its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him this, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything, notice this, that is impure or unclean. 
The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Just like for Cornelius, now for Peter. Peter receives a similar vision. He's up praying and a vision comes. And in that vision, the sheet's let down. And it's really important. It says here that he saw all kinds of four-footed animals together. Now, this is really important because Peter's hungry and he sees all these animals in front of him in this dream. And he sees, notice, all uh, four-footed animals all together. Now, in Jewish dietary laws, there were animals that were deemed clean and unclean, clean to eat and unclean not to eat. Unclean animals were things like pigs and horses. Clean animals were things like cows and chickens. You can eat those, but you can't eat what's unclean. However, if the clean animals, like the cows and the chickens, come into close proximity with the unclean pigs and such, then they became impure and also could not be eaten, even though they were deemed clean to begin with. Are you following with me? All right. So what that means is this. When Peter's seeing all these animals on the sheet, even though some are theoretically clean, because they're mingling with those that are unclean, they've become impure and he can't eat any of them. He's He's hungry, staring at all these things, and he's realizing he's not allowed to eat any of them at all. So when God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat, he is totally taken back. This goes against everything he understands about the law of God. This goes against everything he would understand that God would ever tell him to do. He can't get his head around the idea that God would want him to go and kill and eat something that either is unclean or is impure, which is why he says to God, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is unclean or impure. I I, I love this. He says, surely not, Lord. In other words, no, 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 no. No, 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 Lord. You can't be asking me to do that. You can't because that's, that's not of you. That's surely not of your character. That's not the, the box that I've, I've got you in. That doesn't fit right. I, I don't want that. Surely not, Lord. I, I think the reality is this. All of us have a tendency to say, surely not, Lord. When, when God so often moves in a fresh revelation, when he brings a word to us, it's so perhaps different from what we thought. Our initial reaction surely is, surely not, Lord. Particularly when those things go against our personal preferences, the things that we've made, our, our customs and our traditions and the ways. See, see, here's the reality. There is a comfort, isn't there, to our customs and traditions. We, we like a no surprises kind of God. One who is stable and understandable. One who is relational, who is reasonable, predictable. That's the kind of God that we like. We we like a religion that's nicely tied up with a sweet little bow that helps us to understand everything. We like to have answers, don't we? We don't like uncertainty. We like certainty. I've noticed that as I've gotten older in life, I want stability and certainty more than ever before. I know that I can find myself rooted in my personal preferences as I get older more and more. And the reality is this, that so often when we are entrenched in the 
those customs and traditions, when we're seeking a God that we fully understand, where we try to get out mystery, where we try to get away doubt, when we try to run away from the things that might confuse us about God and try to put God in a little box that we can tie with a bow and fully understand, when that happens, here's the reality. So often we find ourselves acting more from a place of law than a place of grace. You need to follow with this church because this is really important. So often we find ourselves in a place of law more than a place of grace because law is comfortable. Law creates boundaries. Law gives us safety and security. Grace is risky. Grace shunts us out of the things that are comfortable and puts us in a place of higher risk, of unpredictability, of at times uncertainty. And we need to realize that so often we find ourselves like that. And and, and here's the reality. So often those of us who are comfortable in man's laws are really uncomfortable in God's grace. Mm. I'm going to say that again, church, because I think that's super important right now. So often those of us who are comfortable with man's laws really struggle with God's grace. We struggle because God's grace turns some of those things outside of what we're expecting, rips open our customs and our beliefs, rips open the things that we have created to help us to feel comfortable and safe and secure. God's grace is risky by its very definition. We're, we're, we're like the elder son in the parable of the prodigal son who can't understand that our Father would reach out and bless that person. Oh, oh God, I don't understand why you would bless. Haven't you seen their lifestyle? Haven't you seen how they live? Haven't you seen the mistakes they've made? Haven't you seen the way they're treating their spouse? Haven't you seen all of this stuff that's going on in their lives? How could you bless them in the same way that you're blessed to be? Surely not, Lord. When we, when we find ourselves entrenched this way, we really struggle with the reality that God's grace is here. And I want you to know this. So often Christians are so judgmental towards one another. We are some of the worst when it comes to judging one another, to judging our faith based on our actions, judging our churches based on their expressions, judging theology based on denominations, judging who we think should be in and who we think should be out. And this is something that God wants to disrupt in us in this time, I believe. He wants unity across the brokenness more than ever before. And that will take some fresh revelation Because the sad truth is this, that so many Christians who have been saved through grace end up becoming judgmental through the law. So often that takes place for us. So often that happens. And we need to be shaken where some of our customs and traditions have put our personal preferences over God's truth and his word. And this is not just for the church. This is for our city, for our society as, as well. You know, we, we cry out, surely not, Lord, in society often all the times. And we put barriers up between those that we think are worth it and those that we don't think are worth it. And, and we can see things like racism and in classism and, and, and kind of tribalism at work and, and around us all the time. And we can see even our city and our society say things like, well, that person's not quite as valuable as that person. And our laws and the way we treat one another and the way that things happen can actually put ethnic groups amongst each other, can actually put ethnic minorities against those that might be in a majority and that some get privileged and some don't. And we're aware that this happens even here in our beloved city of Hong Kong. 
I think we're honest, some of the stuff we've seen in the news this week about how some of our Filipino sisters in this city have been handled is disgraceful. We should call out the reality when these things take place. I I experienced this personally in my life just a, a few weeks ago. My wife and I, along with our helper, Lizelle, uh, wanted to get our booster uh, for, or for the vaccine. We'd already been double-dosed, and we wanted to get our booster now. And so I jumped on the website to be able to sign the three of us up to get boosted. And, and the cases were increasing here in Hong Kong, and so we wanted to get it done sooner than later. And here's what happened. As I filled in the forms, I realized that for my wife and I, I was able to buy, uh, book a time that was just two days after the day that I was booking. But for my helper, I wasn't able able to book her a time for three weeks. Why? Simply because she held a different ID card than what I held. Simply because helpers were not allowed to get vaccinated first. I thought that was disgraceful. And the reality is that so often in a crisis, it reveals where our true values are. So often crisis can show us what's actually inside of us. And we need a fresh revelation, not just in the church, but in our city and in society as well, that shakes us out of some of these racist, some of these tribalistic, classist impressions that we have. And we need to be grounded again in the word of God. New wine into new wineskins. You still with me, everyone? Still following with this? Now, this is exactly what Peter needed. And that's exactly what Peter received. So much so that I want to show you what he says here in verse 23. He says it this way. He says, Then Peter invited the three men that had been sent by Cornelius into his house to be his guests. That sounds again like a very normal thing. That is revolutionary. Peter is taking three Gentiles into his house to be his guests. Why? Because through the dream he had received, he now has a fresh revelation about the heart of God. He knows now that God is not seeing Gentiles as unclean anymore. He understands that if he's in relationship with Gentiles, if he's sharing food and fellowship with them, he's not going to be seen as impure anymore because we should not call unclean or impure the things that God has called clean and pure. And so he invites them into his house. And in fact, later on, when he shows up at Cornelius' house, he explains why he has done that. Let me read this to you from verse 28. He says this, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. I love this. He says, you know that it is our law. Notice he doesn't say God's law. He says our law. Our rabbinical traditions, our customs and our traditions has created a barrier ethnically between the ethnic other. And it is not right. And God has broken in by the power of his spirit to help me to understand that that isn't right. And I now know that I shouldn't call anybody unclean or impure, that God sees value in, that God loves, that God is created in his image. This is Peter beginning to totally cross over to the other side. This is completely new thinking for him. So much so that he can sit there in this room and preach the gospel to these people. And so much so that this happens. Have a look in verse 44 and 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard his message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. I love that. Even on the Gentiles. 
Even on those unclean ones, even on those ones that we had rejected, even on the ethnically other, the ones that we thought were disgusting in God's eyes, God's spirit has poured out even on them. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. This dramatically changes everything. God does something in their midst that he had never done before. Peter sees the Holy Spirit come upon those that up to that point he had seen as unclean. This is Peter going from the elder brother to the father, realizing now that he is the one that should throw a party for everyone because God's grace has broken over man's laws, that God's grace is always greater than our customs and traditions, that God's law has come and he opens his heart to a fresh way of thinking, a fresh way of thinking, my friends, that completely transforms the church. In fact, this creates a new wineskin for the church. And, And Peter is able to connect vision to mission. And from this point, they can take up Jesus's words that says, take the gospel, not just to Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, that this was Genesis 12, the calling of Abraham come to its fruition. The idea that, oh, look up in the skies and and all of these people, the Jewish people will be a blessing to every nation. This is the moment where Peter and the early church finally understood what was on God's heart from right at the beginning of all time, that the Gentiles, anyone, you and me are able to receive the power of the Holy Spirit for salvation and life. If you're watching this right now, you're not Jewish and you believe in Jesus. That's because of this moment right here. This moment where the new wine of God's power pours out and the church decides to build a new wineskin. Now, it wasn't easy for them. In fact, they would have a lot of arguments about this. You can read later in in, uh, Acts 14 and 15 about the Jerusalem Council and how they wrestled with this new theology, with this new reality of the presence of God poured out on people that they didn't think the presence of God should pour out on. It wasn't an easy transition for them, but that transition certainly took place. And I want you to see why that transition took place. Notice this, track with this. See, God gives a dream to two people that causes a dramatic shift in their thinking that breaks down the dividing walls between them through an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that changes all history. Isn't that amazing, church? A dream comes, the dream changes their thinking, the change in their thinking breaks down the walls, the dividing walls between them, And that results in the Spirit of God being unleashed on earth like never before. And the question we've got to ask ourselves when we read a passage like this is simply this. What dividing walls are there still existing in us today? What dividing walls are present for us that the Holy Spirit right here in Hong Kong might by his power want to bring some new dreams, some new wine for the old wineskin, new wine that gets placed in a new church, a new people, a new people that are open to hearing God's new word who are saying this is the way we now need to live, that these dividing walls, the other that we were once afraid of, we're going to break down those walls because the Spirit of God brings unity. Where are our dividing Dividing walls in Hong Kong right now. I wonder if there's a future where yellow and blue could find unity through the Spirit of God. I wonder if there's a future 
where Hong Kong people and mainland Chinese might find unity through the Spirit of God. I wonder if there's a future here where the ethnic minority in our cities might be seen with the same value as everybody else. I wonder if new wine is being poured into new wineskins. How can we respond with this fresh revelation? How can we receive it? Because if you're listening to this right now and you're anything like me, I'd be like, well, this sounds really good. I, I want to have a Peter moment. Or maybe I want to have a moment like Andrew did and got that vision and was able to speak in Hebrew. Maybe some of you are younger here, got a Spanish test coming up and you're praying for that dream right now. I'm with you. Okay, how do we position ourselves to receive this? from God. Well, I think we see three very quick practical things in the passages that we've just been reading today. The first one is this. We have to position ourselves for revelation. Position ourselves for that revelation. Notice in both Cornelius and in Peter, they were both going about their usual activity and habit of praying. And in that moment of prayer, God is able to break in and bring his revelation. Notice that not all customs and traditions are bad, right? There are many good and healthy ones. And our regular practice of praying, our regular practice of coming before God in relationship with Him is exactly part of that. Both Cornelius and Peter going about their normal, everyday, committed, habitual relationship with God in prayer positions themselves for receiving revelation. Some of you are wanting revelation for God, but you're not doing anything practically to bring it about in your life. Some of you need to re-engage in a prayerful relationship with him. God wants to bring his dreams, but so often those dreams come when we close our eyes and position ourselves to hear from him. So first of all, position yourself for revelation. Second of all is this, look for confirmation. Look for confirmation. It blows my mind that Cornelius the Gentile and Peter, the faithful Jew, received the same dream from God. God is trying to connect the two of them together by giving them the same dream at the same time. And both of those dreams disrupt the ways in which they traditionally thought to bring them into a new relationship together with new thinking. Look for confirmation when God brings a fresh revelation to you. Don't just jump out and start acting on it. Look for the confirmation that God is going to bring that that fresh revelation is truly from him. And so often that confirmation comes, particularly if it's about repairing any dividing walls, that confirmation will come because God will be preparing that other person to receive also that reconciliation, that crossing over the divide to them. And, and I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for that kind of confirmation. God moves not just by giving you a dream, but by preparing the people around you for the shift. And I believe this is what the Holy Spirit's doing with the church in Hong Kong right now. I think he's shifting us. He's shaking us up. He's bringing fresh revelation around us all so that we can begin to truly be the new wineskin that Hong Kong needs in this hour and this time. Amen. Here's the third and final thing. Look for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be present. We know that we can judge something by its fruit. And both here, we have Cornelius and Peter gathered in that room and the Holy Spirit pours out. And Peter immediately knows, well, that is the fruit that I need to know that this is truly a work of God, that this is truly a move of God, that it's not just my new thinking, it's not just my fresh understanding, but God is truly in this because I can see the fruit of His Spirit in it. How do we know that the revelation we received is fresh from God, that it is truly His, that it is confirmed by those around us? 
Well, we look for the fruit. Does it bring the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and in the lives of those around us? Does it bring more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Because if it does, then we know that this is God's work amongst us. We look for the fruit of the Spirit and that helps us to understand that the fresh revelation we have is truly from the source of God himself. Friends, we need new wine to be poured into new wineskins. What that means is a number of things for us. It means that we need to be ready and prepared to change. It means that we need to be open to the ways in which we might need to think differently, to adapt to the times, to let go of some of the things that we had previously held tightly onto so that we can grab a hold of the new thing God is bringing. It means that we need to be willing to take a good, hard, honest look at some of our traditional customs and practices that we've just always done that are actually creating a dividing wall between us and the other, whoever that might be. It means that we need to ask ourselves the difficult question of who is the Gentile to us? Who is the one that we think if we spent time with them, we would become unclean, we would become impure, we would be in the wrong? Who is the other that we are afraid of, the one that we're not sure about, the one that we try to avoid? Who's become the Gentile? Because perhaps God wants to bring some fresh revelation to us about them. One thing we learn from this text above everything else is that there is no human being in God's eyes who is unclean and impure. That there is no one that we should reject, shun, turn our backs on, walk away from. That everyone, as it says in this passage, everyone is treated equitably by God. That God has created us in his image and he loves every single one of us. And I think this passage also does this for us. It challenges us in this way. That like Peter, we have to realize that in order to learn some new habits, we actually have to first of all unlearn some old ones. And sometimes the unlearning of the old requires repentance, requires us being honest that we had it wrong, requires us being honest about the dividing walls that our personal preferences had created in around our lives. It requires us getting on our knees and saying the rabbinical law, Lord, I had allowed to stand over the Torah law, your word, that my desires became more important to me than your true word. Perhaps as we close this series, as we think about what it is for us to truly dream again, as we receive this new wine of God's dreams, we have to say, Lord, I remove that metal gate from in front of your fire. I don't want to be protected from the things that your spirit truly wants to do in and through me right now. Lord, I want to be open to the fresh revelation. Lord, forgive me where I've put some dividing walls down, where I've made my personal preferences more important to me than your truth. Forgive me, Lord, where I've come to look at the ethnically other differently, where I've put more value on myself than I have on them. Lord, would you come and bring such fresh revelation that I actually am now thinking about the kingdom of God differently. Bring your spirit, bring your power, 
so we can dream the sort of dreams and be the kind of church God wants for Hong Kong in this time and this hour. Church, it is time for us to dream again. May his new wine be poured into our new wineskin. Lord, bring your fresh revelation for each one of us. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for uh, this truth today. That Lord, you bring at times a new way of thinking, a new way of believing that enables us to let go of some of the things that have created barriers between us and the fresh thing that you're doing on earth. Lord, I want to pray that where this might be a reality for many of us watching this right now. Lord, I want to pray that you would challenge us deeply to be open, positioned for your fresh revelation in this season. Lord, would you enable us to unlearn some old habits, habits that may not be the best for what it is that you're doing at this time. Lord, would you give us the courage to embrace grace? Lord, would your grace enable us to let go where we've put our traditions above you? And Lord, I want to pray, Father, that your fire would fall that we would let go of the things, Lord, that actually hold us back, that the sparks that we protected ourselves from that are designed to set fire to our lives, Lord, would come. Lord, that new wine, your dreams. Forgive us, Lord, where we stuff those new wines and new dreams into the old wineskins of the way that we've always done things as a church. Lord, I pray for those that need it, that, Lord, you would completely revolutionize their thinking about your spirit. That you are good, God. That you love us so much. And, Lord, if we've ever put you in a box or if you're in a box in our lives right now, Lord, would you break out of the box, Lord? Lord, we thank you that Peter and Cornelius were able to allow you to break out of their boxes. And in them coming together and the power of the Spirit at work in that moment, the whole church was changed forever. Lord, I believe we need another moment like that in Hong Kong right now. I believe we need a pouring out of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that would shake us out of the boxes that we put ourselves in so that we might be able to truly bring unity reconciliation and hope to this place in this time. So Lord, come now, bring your new wine and may it find its fertile soil in the new wineskins of our heart. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, Amen.